Um, but uh, Susan's going to come up here and read, but uh, as she comes up, uh, I've probably told y'all about this piece of art before. Um, I saw about 20 years ago an exhibit by a British artist um, named Damien Hirst. He's a very avant-garde contemporary artist. And uh, I was at this big exhibition. In the middle of the exhibition is this piece, which is a big glass tank that you can walk right up to it. And inside the tank is like a 13-foot tiger shark. It's very menacing looking. Clearly, it's dead. It's, it's preserved in formaldehyde, perfectly preserved. And uh, this funny thing happens as you walk up to it in the space is that although you know that this shark is dead, the closer you get to the tank, the more that your body becomes less sure that it's dead and starts to freak out a little bit because it's a very scary thing to see up close. That you have this tension in your mind with whether this thing is really dead. And uh, the name of the piece is The Physical Impossibility of Death in the Mind of Someone Living. And what the artist is exploring is how even though we know something is dead, we struggle to accept it. And uh, part of the reason why that piece works is because of one very simple but jarring reality. And it's it's this, that every person who has ever lived continues to exist and will continue to exist forever. And the story that Jesus is telling us this morning has a lot of layers to it. We won't get to explore all of them, but at the center of it, Jesus is showing us that, that we are eternal beings and we have eternal destinations. And maybe this is what really puts you off to Christianity, uh, something that you don't like. This is a struggle for each person in this room. But you say, you know, I come to church, I want to know about love, I want to hear about the God of love, I want to be more kind. When we start talking about heaven and hell, I get uncomfortable. Um, And that's the case for all of us, I think, if we're honest about the stakes. And so as we listen to our sister read the word, uh, let's ask the Spirit to give us ears to hear uh, uh, what Jesus is saying, that we might find rest in him. So let's listen to the word of the living God. We started um, with the Samaritan woman and the idea that Jesus is calling worshipers. Hmm. that worship in spirit and truth. In this parable, we're going to see somebody who does and somebody who doesn't Hmm. and what the difference is. So hear the word of God from Luke 16, 19 through 31. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, 
Between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Mm. The word of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, sister. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we, uh, we come before you this morning, all from our different places with our different stories, and we've just heard something which, regardless of it lands ears and hearts, uh, says that it is the word of life, that it gives life. And Lord, since you made us and since you are love, you're the only one that really knows when we need to hear something gently, when we need to hear something firmly, when we need to be challenged, when we need to be comforted. I certainly don't know those things. And so, Spirit, we just pray that you would be with us, that you would help us, that, Lord, that we would not leave hearing this word the same, but in some really meaningful way that you would change us um, for your glory and for our good. We pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen and amen. So when I came to Winston-Salem, um, I met doctors that I know in real life, which I had not done before. Uh, I always had gone to the doctor, so I understood that doctors existed, but I th- figured they just lived in the back of the doctor's office somewhere and never left. But then I came here and I met, I was like, wow, real life, doctors. Um, I also met scientists. So Rebecca Alexander, Dr. Alexander, is a scientist who I've asked many times to explain to me her work. And when she says isotope, I still don't know what that means. And so I'm kind of lost because she's incredibly smart. And I hope to someday at least understand what she does at work. Um, It sounds amazing. So I don't know a lot about science, um, but I am aware of Newton's first law of motion. I'm really expecting to be corrected on this later, to be gentle, Dr. Alexander. Um, But I think that Newton's first law of motion is an object in motion will remain in motion unless it is acted upon by an outside force, right? Okay, yes, got it. A kid in the first service was telling me all the different forces that could, be, could act upon it to stop it. So anyway, I'll stop talking to you now, Rebecca, so you'll be embarrassed. Um, but Newton's first law of motion is that an object in motion will remain in motion, will keep on going forever unless something acts upon it, unless an outside force acts upon it. And part of what Jesus is showing in this parable is that we are the same way, that all human beings are exactly the same, that we continue, as my wife said last night, like a soccer ball punted into space just to continue on a trajectory forever unless it is interrupted in some way. And uh, to begin to explore this idea of eternal destinations and where we're headed, I want to look at three, under three headings. Um, First, where we are going Oh, sorry, we are going where we are already headed. That's the first point I think that Jesus is helping us to see, that where we are going is the direction that we're already headed. 
Secondly, that we can know where we are headed, not by our success or failure, but by how we respond to God's Word. And thirdly, I want to look at what is, the, what is that outside force that can redirect where we're headed. So first, we're going, we're going where we are already headed. Um, I don't know if you caught this if you, if the first time you were reading this passage. This has been one of the most important and impactful texts in my life since I became a Christian. It's always kind of near my mind. I've heard a lot of sermons on it, so I'm probably stealing a lot of material that I'm not crediting anyone for, um, which is fine to steal. Um, <clears throat> originality is just forgetting who to credit, right? So anyway, um, but uh, if, I don't know if you caught this, but the, the rich, there's a rich man and a poor man. Uh, the rich man's feasting sumptuously. He's living a blessed life. The poor man is suffering, begging for scraps. Wild animals are actually coming and licking his sores. But when they die, things get reversed. The, the poor man, whose name is Lazarus, goes up to heaven, uh, what Jesus calls Abraham's side or Abraham's bosom. And the rich man uh, descends into torment in hell. But notice what happens when, if you look in verse 24, the rich man, when he gets to hell, he says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Sounds pretty good so far. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Although this person has, has recognized the result of his life, he still finds himself in a place where he looks up to heaven, sees the poor man who was laid at his door, and doesn't say, Lord, forgive me for I've treated this man. He says, hey, Abraham, send that guy down here. I need him to do something for me. I'm in anguish. I need him to come serve me. Even in this moment, he still sees Lazarus as his inferior and he as his superior and that Lazarus lives to serve him. Basically, what Jesus is getting at is that even in the eternal uh, trajectory of this man's life, he continues to be the same person. And that's hard, I think, for us because we assume uh, that if someone would die and they would recognize what has happened, that people are basically reasonable. And so someone would realize the error of their way and change. And that's why many of us struggle um, with these ideas of, of eternal destination in the Bible or of heaven and hell. Um, because we, we, we ask ourselves, like, why would God let some people experience eternal peace and others eternal torment um, just based on a few series of decisions they made during their life. But what Jesus is showing us is that we exist on a trajectory that will continue on forever. The Scripture does not assume, like we do, that people are basically reasonable. We think once someone sees the, 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 the folly of their ways that they will change. But the Scripture says that's not the case at all. That humans are actually motivated by what is most precious to us. That the thing that will always move us is that thing within us that we find to be the most valuable and beautiful and precious. Now, when I say precious, you might think about Gollum from the, the Lord of the Rings. Um, this is going to be a spoiler on a probably 80-year-old book, so I'm sorry for that. Um, if you haven't yet read the Lord of the Rings or seen the movies. But Gollum, he has this ring. It's his precious, right? His, every, his whole life is, surrounds this ring. But Gollum wasn't always Gollum. At one point, he was just a sweet little hobbit, Right? who found something that became so valuable and precious to him that it, it turned him inward on himself until all that he existed for was this ring, and he suffered underground in the dark. And like Gollum's ring, the Scripture says that anything that is most precious to us in the end will become a hell for us. 
Anything that is precious to us that is not God will become a hell to us. Because since God is love, the Scripture says that God is love, not that He's loving, not that He has love, but He is synonymous with love. Since God is love, He is the only precious thing that will not in the end make us consumed by pride or consumed by pity. And since we are created to be near God, only when we are near Him are we capable of eternal joy and love. Um, there's, a, there's a book by the British uh, thinker and professor C.S. Lewis, which if you've been at Redeemer a lot, you've probably heard your fair share of great divorce quotes, but another one, in case you hadn't gotten them all yet. Um, he, wrote some, he wrote a book called The Great Divorce, which is a fictionalized account of people going from hell up to heaven. And what's fascinating about it is that none of the people, when they get there, choose to stay. Um, and so one of the stories he tells is about a woman named Pam who comes up to heaven because her son Michael, she hears that her son Michael is in heaven. And she was parted from her son at a, at a young age. And she tells the spirit guide that is guiding her around that she will do anything as long as she can see her boy. She'll keep all the rules, everything, as long as she can see her boy. And the spirit guide says to her, but Pam, do think. Don't you see that you're not beginning at all as long as you're in that state of mind? You're treating God only as a means to Michael. But the whole treatment consists in learning to want God for his own sake. Saying you're using God to get Michael, we have to learn to want God for his own sake. And she responds this way. And see if this resonates with you. I know it does with me. If God loved me, he'd let me see my boy. If he loved me, why did he take Michael away from me? I wasn't going to say anything about that, but it's pretty hard to forgive, you know. Give me my boy. Do you hear? I don't care about all your rules and regulations. I don't believe in a God who keeps mother and son apart. I believe in a God of love. No one has a right to come between me and my son, not even God. Tell him that to his face. I want my boy, and I mean to have him. He is mine, 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 forever and ever. See, Pam believes in a God of love, and to her, what a God of love is is one who gives her what she loves the most. And interestingly, that is how God functions. Anything that is most precious to us in the end will become hell to us unless it is God. Have you ever wondered if you've explored the Bible or spent any time with the Bible, our first parents, Adam and Eve, uh, they fell into sin by eating uh, the fruit of a tree that God told them not to eat. Um, but have you ever noticed that God never told them a reason why they shouldn't do that? He just said, if you eat from this tree, you die. Don't do it. But he didn't say what would happen to them. He didn't give them a rationale. Because if they had a reason to obey God, then that reason is more precious to them than God. And what God was calling them to do was to say, take me at my word. This is similar to what uh, the rich man says to Abraham. He, he says, send someone to my brother so that they will avoid this place of torment. Not so that they will turn and find God, but so that they will avoid hell. The end of all things is to want God for his own sake. To find him to be most precious. And that may sound cruel, but I just ask you, if you are in love with someone, and you're in a love relationship with someone, don't you want them to love and serve you simply for your own sake? I mean, do you want your lover to serve you and to do things for you because then they can get something from you in return or will make their life easier and happier? Then they're not loving you, they're loving themselves. Don't you want someone that is going to love you simply because you're wonderful? 
It's exactly what God is calling us to. If we are in the love of God, we will follow his voice because he is that which is most precious. And really, at the end of the day, we're either headed toward him or headed away, and where we end up is where we're already headed. But secondly, how can we know where we are headed? If we want to take stock and we're like, okay, this is intriguing, how do I know where I'm going? We can know where we're headed, not by our success or failure in this life, but by how responsive we are to God's Word. Because look, on the surface with this rich man and Lazarus, I think it's fascinating. Number one, Jesus raises someone from the dead named Lazarus. It's like an inside joke that only he gets. Um, He doesn't even give the rich man a name. But on the surface, it looks like the rich man is living a blessed life and that Lazarus is cursed. So how does it end up like this in the end that there's this great reversal? Um, it's, It's because of this. This man, if you look again in verse 24, he calls out Father Abraham. This man is an Israelite, which means that his whole life he had heard the Old Testament Scriptures, the writings of Moses and the prophets. This would, have been a, this would have been a constant refrain in his life. And so he would have known one of the most clear, crystal clear things from reading the Old Testament, which is that the people of God are supposed to care for the poor, the marginalized, and the oppressed. That what is central to God's heart, because he is a God of love, is those who are suffering. And God says clearly to his people, if, you, if there is someone that is poor in your midst, it is incumbent upon you to act because I am love and you are my people, so you take my love out into the world. So although this man knew what God said, he would have been steeped in it. He did not do it. Even during his life, you could see where he was headed by how responsive he was to God's word. And could it be the reason why you or I are not experiencing the life with God that we want to experience is simply because we hear what God says and we say, that's very interesting. I will take it under advisement. I will consider it strongly before I act. Instead of saying, the Lord has said it to me, I will act because I can trust him. Could it be that the reason why we're experiencing what we're experiencing is because we hear God's word and then we decide later what to do with it? Now, we often look at the successes or failures in people's lives as a way to know whether they are blessed or cursed. But part of what Jesus wants us to see is that more often than not, in the eternal perspective, it all gets reversed. That Jesus more often than not puts the bottom on the top and the top on the bottom. So, if you're here this morning and you are sick or lonely or in debt that you could never repay or are forgotten or are poor, then take heart because this Jesus is the reverser of fortunes. He turns everything upside down. I was talking to a friend uh, who's also a pastor because, you know, when you're a pastor, you have, you have to have your little pastor friends. And, um, and we were talking because he had preached on this passage not long ago. And his church uh, is like ours. It was people, I think, that we would feel like are kind of like us. They also have a population in their church of folks that are from an adult day center for uh, emotionally, mentally, developmentally disabled adults that are there and they're part of their church. And they have many in their church who are homeless or formerly homeless. And so he was preaching this passage, and he said it felt weird in the room, felt heavy. 
So he went and spoke to one of these sisters who is always in need, cars breaking down, often in, in need. And he said, what, you know, what, what were you making of that? Why does it feel so heavy? And she said, well, when you start talking in church about rich people getting put on the bottom and poor people getting put on the top, it becomes very uncomfortable. <laughs> and he said that there was a section of his church that felt like they were about to break out in celebration at any moment. What reveals our trajectory isn't success or failure, or not even how we treat the poor necessarily. It's how we respond to what God says. There are a lot of poor folks that curse God and a lot of rich people who love God. But there's something about being on the top that makes it particularly difficult to hear God's voice and to respond. And there's something about being on the bottom that makes you well acquainted with being dependent on someone else. Uh, Daniel Nyeri, who wrote this book, this is our summer book uh, called Everything Sad is Untrue. Um, and it's a story of uh, a family in Iran that are basically royalty and how their lives get turned upside down because uh, the mother in the family becomes a Christian. And so then her family's life is in danger and they flee and become refugees and land in Oklahoma, uh, which is, you know, a, a land that they, might, they would probably think would be full of people that would accept them as sisters and brothers, but they don't experience that. <clears throat> and uh, he says this, Imagine you are evil. So imagine, if, with me if you will, in this ministry of encouragement, that you are evil. Okay? Not misunderstood, not sad, but evil. Imagine you've got a heart that spends all day wanting more. Imagine your mind is a selfish room full of pride or pity. Imagine you're like Brandon Goff and you find poor kids in the halls and make fun of their clothes and you flick their ears until they scream in pain and swing their arms and so you pin them down and break their fingers. Or you spit in his food in the cafeteria. Or you just call him things like cockroach and sand monkey. Imagine you're evil and you don't do any of those things, but you're like Julie Jenkins and you laugh and you laugh at everything Brandon does. And you even help when a teacher comes and asks what's going on and you say nothing's going on and he believes you because you get A pluses in English. Or imagine you just watch all of this and you act like you're disgusted because you don't like meanness, but you don't do anything or tell anyone. Imagine how much you've got compared to all the kids in the world getting blown up or starved and the good you could do if you spent half a second thinking about it. Suddenly evil isn't punching people or even hating them. Suddenly, it's all the stuff you've left undone, all the kindness you could have given, all the excuses you gave instead. Imagine that for a minute. Imagine what it means. Well, anyway, don't get too upset. You can always find someone worse acting than you and say, at least I'm not as bad as that guy. And you can feel good and go to the mall and go back to being evil. Let's pray. Um, <clears throat> What if the thing that God actually cares about the most is love? It's about receiving His love and acting on His love. If we struggle to believe in a God who would allow people to suffer, what does it say, what does that condemnation say about us? Can we even believe in ourselves? So if at this point, uh, you know, I, I really struggle talking about this whole thing because it just feels like Jesus really wants to take us to a, a point that it's like a crisis point for us. Um, 
And I think that that's good for us. So if um, we realize that where we're headed like a soccer ball punted through space uh, is not the direction that we want to be going in, uh, what can we do? What is that outside force that can act on us? And this is, this is the, the end here. The outside force that can change our trajectory is not facts. It's not incontrovertible facts that we, our reasonable selves take in. Look, look what um, this happens here at the end of the passage. Uh, look in verse 30. The rich man says, No, Father Abraham, if someone goes to, them, to my brothers from the dead, they will repent. And Abraham says to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So Jesus is the only one in this equation that knows that he's going to rise from the dead. So I imagine the internal, you know, kind of like, how that's kind of fun for him, you know, like that he knows that's going to happen. Um, but what, basically what he's saying is, even if someone was to come back from the dead and do that thing which is impossible, that we would still use those facts to support what is most precious to us and not to change. If they won't hear what God says, then they won't be convinced if someone should come back from the dead. We will always use facts to support what is most precious to us. So maybe, you know, the, the question for us this morning is like, what would it take for you to believe? You know, like, what is the thing you're like, if that thing happened, then I would believe. If God visited me in a dream, if he changed something in my life, if he took me and showed me the resurrection, then I would believe. And what Jesus is saying to us is that we would interpret any of those facts to fit what is most precious to us and continue on. We can explain it all away. We can reframe it. We can spin it. I know a lot of us like to think that what happened over the last 18 months in like our communities is somehow like this strange aberration and why did we stop caring? Like how did we stop agreeing on what's real and all that? And it's not. This is just human beings living our lives in society. It was consistent with how we work. But there is good news here, and it's this. If you ask God to help you hear his voice, he will answer you. It might be for the bajillionth time, because you're like, I've sat through a million of these. It still doesn't motivate me. It doesn't change me. If you ask God to help you hear his voice and respond to it, his word will be the outside force that will change the trajectory of your life. Because the scripture tells us in Romans chapter 10 that faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And here is that word. That Jesus, the eternal word, spanned the impassable chasm to hell. The place through which no one can go from here to there and no one can come from there to here. He spans that chasm he died for our evil that we cover up by uh, comparing ourselves to someone worse and going to the mall and forgetting all about it. He died for our evil and descended into eternal torment and was raised to eternal life. And he was not raised to convince you. He was raised, he died and was raised to provide the force that could rescue you from plummeting into a hell that you want to go to and that I want to go to a hell of our own making, a place that we would never leave and would never want to leave. Because Jesus died and was raised because we don't love God. We don't want him. 
and we are hopelessly lost among all our preciouses. But He loves us, and we are the most precious thing to Him. We are His precious thing that it's worth descending into hell for. And if you lay at His gate, He will not pass you by. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, we are in great need, greater than we want to think about. Uh, Lord, but there's just no way that we can open up a passage like this and not be confronted with it. And uh, Lord, I know I got sisters and brothers in the room that are suffering and they need your comfort. And pray that you would be their comfort, that you would remind them that you are making everything sad untrue and that you do reverse fortunes. And that, Lord, I got brothers and sisters in the room that are hearing this word and don't know what to do with it. I don't know what to do with it. This is hard. But would you speak to us in a way that we can understand that we would, our trajectory would be changed not just away from torment, but toward you who are the most precious thing that we could ever imagine. Uh, do that by your grace, we pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.